The gaming industry has taken the world by storm since the 1970s. Technological advancements over the past several decades have allowed PC, mobile, and console games to incorporate new designs and new storylines. These advances have helped the industry to expand dramatically, attracting diverse audiences with various interests, including sports, music, and current events. Recorded at South by Southwest 2022, this episode explores how video games have become not only a hobby, but also even an avenue for activism. Welcome to Dissidents and Dictators, a series of conversations by the Human Rights Foundation dedicated to exposing and challenging authoritarianism around the world. Well, let's get started. Uh, hello, everyone. Uh, thank you so much for being here. Uh, we are the Human Rights Foundation. Um, we're an international human rights organization um, that focuses on non-democratic societies and tries to unite the world in the struggle for democracy and against authoritarianism all over the world. Um, uh, we are very excited to be back at South by Southwest. We usually, uh, in person, uh, we come for several years, and this is a, an excellent opportunity to meet with so many um, wonderful, creative people um, uh, who may be interested in, in furthering this cause. Um, uh, we are also the, the producers of the Awesome Freedom Forum, uh, which is our annual human rights conference in Oslo, Norway, uh, where we bring together um, uh, an eclectic group of people from, uh, from the media, the arts, uh, public policy, to meet with human rights activists that are fighting the good fight on the, on the front lines uh, and where they're most, most at risk. Um, today, uh, we have uh, we bring you this panel for gaming and activism, and we try to explore a little bit the intersection of gaming and the gaming industry and, and how games um, can be uh, an incredible uh, vehicle for, for activism and, and, and the struggle for freedom. Um, so we were joined by uh, Kristen Beth, Bessie, that you see her on the screen right there. She is the public relations manager of uh, Reporters Without Borders and the, the project manager of the Uncensored Library. Um, she will tell us a little bit more about that in a second. Um, uh, we're also joined by Jerry Chan. He's, a, he's an artist and game developer from Hong Kong and one of the founders of Psychic Studio. Uh, and we're working on, um, on a particular video game that he will also tell us a little bit more about that. Um, and to my left here is uh, Nadi Persani. He is a game developer. He's worked uh, in the game industry for several years, worked with several AAA titles. And he's the founder of Ink Stories, uh, another independent studio that does some, some fantastic, fantastic work. Um, I'm Alvaro Piedra, and I'm a policy advisor at HRF. And uh, once again, I welcome you all. Um, I want to start first with Kristen. Uh, I want you to tell us a little bit more about yourself, uh, the work you do at uh, Reports Without Borders, and specifically tell us about the, the uncensored library. What is it? And, and, how does it fit into this, this app? Yeah, sure. Yeah, thanks for letting me join in this interesting panel of Berlin, where I am at the moment. Um, I'm Christine Basic, as you mentioned, and I'm doing especially media work for reports about what I'm Germany, but in the specific case of this campaign that we did, the Antigua Library, we created an international campaign 
for NSF. So that's why I'm speaking today. Um, and yeah, we mentioned the library already. Um, as the name tells it's a library that uncensors information. And the, the great thing about this is that it's a library in the video So even the video games we created the library because Minecraft is available in almost every country in the world and it's one of the most famous games around the world and we had the idea that this can be used to circumvent censorship. So we um, uploaded archives that are censored in the in, in the country and people from everywhere around the world can read articles by entering our server and playing Minecraft and entering the answer to that. Thank you, Christine. Um, Jerry, go ahead and tell us a little bit more about, uh, about your work, uh, about the game you're working on. Sure. Um, so good morning, everyone. Um, thanks for the kind introduction of Marco and nice to meet you all. So my name is Jerry Shandy, co-founder of an indie, com indie game company called Simon Studio. So our team um, has four Hong Kong as a team um, teammates. They are located around the world. And another co-founder, Mandy and I, are based in New Jersey right now. So currently we are developing a game, a 2D adventure game is called Name of the World, which is inspired by the Hong Kong protests against the Chinese Communist Party happening in 2019. And it is a story about you waking up in a uniform community with fake harmony and you have to figure out why you got there and then during the journey we disclose some secret about this community and you have to decide what to do next, whether you want to fight against it, you want to um, just go away or you want to just live with it, it's up to you. And more importantly, you have to think about how much you are willing to sacrifice for each of the decisions. Um, whether you want to sacrifice your friendship or your integrity. So that's, uh, that's basically the game we're making. And I, I think that would be a game uh, with the challenge uh, morally, in some sense. Thank you, Jack. Um, Naveed, um, tell us a little bit more about yourself, about your work, and what stories. Sure. Thank you. Um, thanks for giving my foundation for having me here, and uh, welcome everyone. My name is David Kinsari. We have a studio in New York called Ink Stories. Uh, Ink Stories uh, is an entertainment company that focuses on uh, creating social impact stories, but at the same time using key pillars of production, so high production value, engage and entertain and kind of subtextually be able to get your message across. Um, our first project was 1979 Revolution Black Friday, which is based on the Iranian Revolution and brings in multiple elements of uh, people's personal experiences, but bases it in the game design of choosing a choose-your-own-adventure game. Um, that game was uh, quite successful for us and opened up a lot of doors. Uh, it provided the first uh, BAFTA nomination for a Muslim actor, um, and while it was banned in Iran, um, it's uh, the prowess and its growth in the West opened up people's eyes to the difference between the government and its people, and obviously we're 
seeing that example in Russia right now, the difference between its government and, and, and its people and the challenges that exist there. We went on to then do a virtual reality piece, which was a um, 20 by 30 piece called Hero, that puts you on the streets of Syria. So you can actually go past the pictures that we were getting fed uh, about these areas that have been bombed out and just covered in dust, but actually breathe life into this so you could see that they're no different than us. And I think the objective uh, that we have, aside from other projects that we've done, and one project in particular that year is called Blindfold, which is playing, uh, Blindfold VR is playing in, uh, at the booth uh, for the Human Rights Foundation, you guys should swing by there, is uh, what's it like to be a journalist who's forced to confess? Confessionals are psychologically not only damaging but really hard actually once you kind of come out of it and come to your home. How do you confess to that? So, we used, uh, we did that with the Committee to Protect Journalists and uh, worked with the, uh, the Iranian Human Rights Group uh, out of New York and created an experience through the nodding of yes and no of how you kind of manage and navigate your way through this confession. Uh, so, those are just a, a, a sprinkle of projects that we've done. And I think at the core for us, aside from also working on, it, on an entertainment games, the thing that's been uh, the most interesting is the power that this medium has. Unlike anything else, unlike television, unlike film, and I hate to say it because I love reading, but unlike literature, gaming is the most powerful medium that we have that allows you to put somebody in the shoes of the other and in that kind of create some empathy and hope and kind of concern, but also the challenges that kind of exist for, for all of us as we kind of kind of navigate this, this the crazy kind of global political world that we're in. So that's us in a nutshell. Thank you, thank you so much. Um, yeah, and thank you Navi for bringing it up. I, I, I forgot to mention at the beginning, but we have a booth here, uh, at the Creative, uh, creative Arts uh, exhibit here, the, Center, you can stop by and you can experience, um, like Navid said, um, blindfold. You can play the games for a little bit. Um, there's also information. You can also play with an uncensored library in Minecraft. Um, see what it's all about. And you can also see a preview of uh, Jerry's game, uh, Name of the Will, um, which is a beautiful artwork. I encourage you, everyone to stop by later and take a look. Um, yeah, so, uh, to, move, to continue a little bit with what with Navid said, but the last thing that you said about um, you know the power of, of, of this medium, like video games, right? Um, uh, it's become such a you know incredibly popular thing. Everyone, uh, especially younger generations, now uh, we grew up with this uh, with this medium, and it's, it's in a way overtaken a lot of uh, traditionally such as uh, movies and TV in a way. Um, so I wanted to ask you more about how you see um, how you see the power of this game, and also why you chose to work on this. Uh, and uh, to follow up a little bit on that, um, I want to ask you your personal experiences. How did you first um, discover the power of, of these games? Because I'm sure um, you know it came before you became a developer, before you started working on this project. So uh, what opened your eyes to this? Uh, and, and, and how, how you see the, the video games in general in this world. Chris? Um, yeah, I think when, um, when I really realized like, the power of, like, of games, and what I could say as an example, it was um, when I played Android Zone. Um, I think it was, yeah, it was eight years ago when I first played it or when it was developed. And then despite obvious 
a game that um, includes gaming experience as well as a serious topic. Um, this game is about the character of being get people put in another class and fight. Um, yeah, very beautifully made and and it looks like a few short documentaries um, in the game, but in the game. And I think it's um, a nice example, or I, I think that was the first time when it was very obvious for me that games can also be serious um, and also include like, uh, yeah, information and also transport more than entertainment. Um, even though, of course, I, I used to play like, a lot of Game Boy and Pokemon when I was younger. And there, um, yeah, I, I could see that it was the most interesting thing for me to interact with other people online or like change, um, like the Pokemon, for example. And I think this is also one aspect that um, the interaction and really do that you have a whole new world um, where you can interact with people online and online games. This is also another another aspect um, that fascinates me around games and which also made me aware that it can uh, be a tool to bring about social change, but also um, yeah, to raise awareness, which um, we also did with the ends of the library and here. Um, the interaction and online communication is a really big part of, of the project. Yeah. Thank you, Chris. Oh, there. Yeah, I definitely agree with Christine. I think interaction is definitely a very significant attribute of video games media. So, actually, we our team is actually a newbie in game industry, and uh, I'm, I'm an artist. And what brought me to this game industry is, I think. It's, we should go back to uh, the protest in 2019 um, because just back then, Mandy uh, and I were out of Hong Kong and then we, we, we felt so helpless because we couldn't help the, what was happening in our home. We were watching the screen of the street protest while we were watching the window peacefully with some bird flying over. So that's a big contrast and pretty stressful and frustrated. And then we wanted to um, contribute to the protest and we wanted to respond to the protest. And so that we, we tried a video game as a media uh, to respond to it. But why did we choose the medium? Because our team believed that, I think since the Tunisian revolution, um, I think the activism has become more information oriented and also uh, digitalized. So we think uh, video game is actually an experience of accumulation of information. To be more accurate, I, was, uh, I meant uh, RPG games, uh, strategic games, and also some narrative-based games. So they are all based on information. So that's why I can see many Hong Kong game developers, including us, are choosing this medium to respond to the protest. Either they are supporting the protest or opposing the, op um, opposing the protest. So that's what brought us to this incident. Thank you. What was the question again? <laughs> it's got so caught up. <laughs> yeah. Um, just just the background. And... Yeah, to tell us a little bit how, how, you, how you got into uh, making games that you make, right? Because uh, yeah. you, you've, you've had like, a long career of, of, you know, with 1979 stories. Yeah. Um, but and at some point, I think in 
your young life before you became a developer, you, you probably saw the power of, of games. Like, it's not just entertainment. Yeah, absolutely. It's like any form of art. You, you can express pretty much anything you want. Really. Like, yeah. It gives you a lot of freedom. So, tell, tell me when, when was that discovery for you? And, my discovery was probably when I was 11 years old. My family had just left Iran. It was during the U.S. hostage crisis, and we had landed in Canada. I couldn't speak English that well. Felt a fair amount of animosity from people because it was the first Christmas that the hostages weren't going to be home. And we had on ABC, Ted Koppel, I think it was like day 32, there was just this continual countdown. And so, actually, having played video games that were just of that era, which wasn't that many, was really the only ways I was able to actually kind of break that ground with, with the other kids in the playground. It has, and this is something larger, America's greatest export hands down will always be pop culture. And so that pop culture, and particularly video games, was the first time that I was able to kind of transcend differences between myself and other kids in the playground and be able to kind of communicate. And then, and then you know, that, that had that, like, that moment, I guess, first, but, um, you know, then I, I went on and, 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 and became a film student, graduated, and, and when I joined up with the guys at Rockstar Games, uh, I came on board to direct the GTA uh, 3, Vice City, and, and San Andreas, and uh, multiple games at Rockstar as the cinematic director, and that was definitely eye-opening, to seeing the power that gaming actually has um, to create community, to create dialogue, the water cooler conversation, and, um, and then, just to kind of, I, I went back to Iran in, in 2006, the first time I'd been back in 25 years, and, and, and drove the entire country. And uh, I was up in a small, small town um, towards Uzbekistan and Tajikistan, Turkmenistan, a place called Gombad, where they had only like two PCs in the whole village. I'm the only Iranian that's credited on the Grand Theft Auto game, so all these kids and teenagers showed up, and they're like, oh, they want to talk to me. And what really kind of switched the light for me, or kind of flicked it over, was the uh, this young girl who um, kind of came to her own conclusion that living in America must be fantastic. And what was crazy was that we've got uh, next door in Iraq, the U.S. invasion, and in Afghanistan, we're seeing tons of Afghani refugees going into Iran, and she has this opinion. And so I kind of asked her about it, and she said the fact that she has the freedom to, when she plays Grand Theft Auto, to, to listen to the music that she wants to listen to on the radio, be able to drive, uh, be able to go put on different outfits, do all the things that are really outside of the main campaigns or however the games have been kind of marketed. And that was it. When I kind of saw that, that became kind of the initial start for uh, 1979 and, and recognizing that you know, on a, look, we're at South by Southwest, there's a lot of gaming stuff going on, and what's happening in the gaming industry in general is that everyone's looking at what Hollywood's doing and what all, like, and, and following that model. But if you take a look at Hollywood, like, documentaries were actually the first film format before films came out, and all we gotta do is we just gotta, like, slightly turn a little bit to the left and take a look at all these possibilities and opportunities that this medium has to connect to people and just tell different stories. And that's it. And audiences are changing. It's no longer about just like having these, uh, you know, these triggers of like, you know, one versus one compete. The competition will always exist. It's the nature of the foundation of games. But people are now more into experiences. And I feel like, you know, these little, from being 10 years old 
to being in Iran, these experiences have been about kind of human connection through an experience that you've had like digitally. And I think that there's a great potential for it. I and mean, that's been kind of the spark that's kept us going at Ink Stories with our other projects. Thank you for being here. It's amazing. I mean, it, it, it is, you know, like most art, uh, we can use it for, to, to express anything we want. Right? Like you said, create that human connection. Um, uh, so I want to ask all of you, uh, uh, just now following up on, 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 your, on, your, on your work as developers and your working on the, on the Ascension Library, um, and, and, and also something you mentioned around about how the industry is, right? Like how you know we look at Hollywood uh, and try to follow what Hollywood uh, is doing, um, uh, which you know you, you try to entertain and get as many people as you, as you want to subscribe or like, seats. Um, uh, obviously, you have to. <coughs> it's something that you can't uh, look past, uh, just like making the game entertaining, right? Um, appealing to a proper audience, everyone. Uh, without uh, you know, that doesn't mean that you have to stop your message. You have to stop telling your message. But how do you balance that? What are the challenges in that? Like, how do you make a project um, both um, appealing, but also you know, still tell the story you want to tell? Um, so, Jerry, if you want to start this one. Sure. I think one of the, we've gone through a few challenges. One of the challenges is that, um, because when it comes to this kind of political creation, and then we have to, and about storytelling, our challenge was how to be better, to be better how much we should refer to the relationship. As we discussed before, and because if we go too specific, the spectrum of the audience may narrow down. So that we have to. So that's why we have uh, decided to make it fictional in order to assess to a wider audience. And also talking about the um, degree of how much we refer to a relationship, we also. Don't want to re-traumatize some victim of the really fans. That maybe the person can have opinions on that. Because that's why we, we were picking up the material effect carefully, that such as uh, we, we don't want to just depict the uh, script fighting scene very explicitly. We try to make it more implicit so that people can um, take the at the core of it, but without being re-traumatized. Um, yeah, I'm going to go to, to tell what you think about it, and then I'm going to go back to this and I'll ask you a little bit, some a little more specific about the, the sensor library, um, also related to this, this issue. Of... So, I think one of the lessons I learned when I, when I was at Rockstar was the importance of uh, production value. Right. In the end, you need to kind of package it up as you're making a project that's going to be able to compete or be on the shelves with these other projects. So I think that's what we kind of did. We, we, you have to entertain, you have to engage. That's first and foremost. You're on, you're on the shelf with all the other projects that are out there. So you need to have that as a key pillar, if that's a key pillar for them. In the end, you're a, st a storyteller. and. I, I don't know about you, but I, I want to share my story with as many people as I can, so I've got to make sure I figure out how to not open that door. So that, that was the key for, for us. I think 
um, you know, we felt that we had multiple kind of challenges. Challenges of some people who were afraid of sharing their stories because of like retribution that might take place within Iran. Obviously, we weren't worried about it uh, anonymously, but when you're working with actors that you're bringing in and so forth, there's challenges there. You know, we had probably 30% of the people that worked on the game asked not to be credited. You know, that does not happen. The game got banned in Iran within two weeks and I was written up as a spy. So these are like the legitimate uh, fallout of, of, of kind of what happens. But I think whenever you're going to make anything political, you're going to have these blockers. You know, we had challenges with Apple because they thought that it was a little too political for them. And so they kind of, they came, you know, they showed, they held our hand all the way and, and then released it. And then we won Indicate and they had all the Indicate uh, selects um, in, in the App Store, like in one of their like editorials. And we won the grand jury and we were the only game that was left out. So, you know, you, you, you're going to, these are the challenges that you have. You have to think about the larger audience. You have to think about the community. You have to think about if you're making something about Iran, if you're making something about Hong Kong, where's the biggest audience? How are you going to be able to build them? If they're Western audiences, how do you do that? Because if you go too far down one path, if you make it too legitimate, if you make it too, too authentic, then are you actually alienating a larger audience? So these are some of the challenges that kind of exist. But I think the most important thing is regardless of all the challenges, what will always appeal to audiences is your ability as a developer to put, make it personal. People, audience, humans, audiences have the sophistication and the ability to kind of see through that regardless of what the gameplay is. And if sometimes the gameplay sucks, they'll still be forgiving if you're actually pushing something that they can kind of connect to too. So, so there is that, that balance of it. But I do think you have to take a look at what the industry is doing. Recognize what are the key pillars of why those projects are successful. How can you adapt that to what you're doing and yet make sure you keep it personal? And then obviously the biggest challenge, doing it within a much smaller budget. Because your budgets are never going to be the size of what these AAA or AA or even some of the established indie places are doing. So I think that that's kind of the mix. Yeah, um, thank you. I, I have something to add. Um, I agree that uh, audience are sophisticated enough to see through that because um, we had made a prototype before making this game and Mandy just made a prototype exactly based on the story of Hong Kong um, which is also the game that you have to make decisions what the next step is and then we just left some um, friends from America to play and then their feedback was, oh, I, I still, although I don't actually know about the story behind it, when I play it, I can feel, I can have the resonance, I can, yeah, I can, I can feel that, what you feel that way. So that's, I think that's also Absolutely, yeah. Sorry, Kristen, I don't want to figure out that. So, tell me a little bit of, you know, your, your take on this, um, obviously, Specific with tech, it's a game developer, but uh, the challenge is that you know, uh, in, in introducing these messages into games, and uh, you know, now that we're here, I also wanted to, you could tell us a little bit more about um, uh, what are the challenges of distributing this project, right? Like, uh, how do you get to the places where you have the most censorship, for example, right? Um, yeah, I mean, distributing is not. The main problem, but also what uh, Jerry already said about 
how we can be uh, explicit or not, and also have we said that we still want to be entertaining and not kind of balance. I think that's also one of the challenge for our project because uh, we couldn't be uh, explicit in some cases because um, some of the journalists involved um, still live in the countries um, where we want to publish the content, so we didn't want to put them in danger, and we really. We are trying to publish their articles anonymously, um, just yeah, just to be sure that everyone is safe who is involved in the project. And then for the other countries, we try to work with journalists that live in exile. So we we also we know that everyone is okay with being uh, exposed through this campaign. Uh, so this was one one challenge in Myanmar making the game, but yeah, of course, uh, it's also a challenge to distribute in. The target countries that we actually wanted to publish the, the uncensored content, um, but we we had lots a lot of help from the gaming community because um, I think the building that we create the library itself is quite it's quite impressive um, for people who play Minecraft. Um, so it's quite yeah an impressive building that people want to explore and actually. Yeah, we find out more about it. So it was shared thousands of times on YouTube and YouTube videos and also in online from, from players to other players. So it was quite helpful that it was an impressive building itself that we could transport our messages with. So that we could actually show that press field is relevant for democracies all over the world and that um, Especially in countries like um, Russia um, or Egypt, um, Vietnam, anywhere um, where we can see censorship, um, it's very important that we could yeah, find a way to publish these articles, publish the articles there again. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Um, Sorry, go ahead. No, no, I don't know. Maybe, maybe someone else wants to add on, but I can also say more about the reaction, maybe. Yeah. And I actually wanted to ask you about uh, mm -hmm. a little bit of the topic of censorship, right? um, because that is uh, sadly is a rising trend in the world. Um, I mean, uh, we've seen a democratic recession doing, um, all over the world, and, and, and that is seeping through also in democratic societies. Um, we see sometimes the, the influence, for example, of China in the media in the United States, um, forcing a lot of people to self-censor. Um, but overall, I mean, we see this as, you know, emboldened autocrats from over the world, perhaps the, the most tragic and horrible example is the example of the, the invasion of Ukraine in, in Eastern Europe. But, uh, uh, Kristen, you work with reporters about borders, and uh, obviously you, your job is to try to monitor and help uh, preserve, you know, journalistic freedom all over the world. And so I wanted to ask you, like, in the face of this trend, um, how do you see uh, the future of, of, of you know, art and, and specifically games and, and, and the work that you're doing and the work that maybe even the dogs of Jerry are doing? Yeah, I mean, yeah, like what you already mentioned with Russia and Ukraine, I think it's, yeah, it's really sad to see how information is treated in Russia and not nothing like the yeah, maybe you can see that I'm quite emotional, but obviously, but it's very, yeah, it's so sad to see that 
all of the journalists, like hundreds of journalists, are leaving Russia because they are not able to report anymore. They are not allowed to use the specific word. Um, you, they can't really get into it. They are in danger of their lives. They can be imprisoned if they say a specific word. Yeah, and we could organize, I mean, we could see that there are perfectly brave journalists, like the woman who was said to be holding up the sign um, to protest, but this is like really brave to do that, and it's really, um, yeah, there's no way to, to inform the public with, um, through traditional media at the moment. So this is where actually creativity has to be stepped in to also give hope to people to show them that, that there is a way to um, access information and that other people are there to show solidarity um, to circumvent censorship. Um, I mean, yeah, I think it was also quite a creative idea to, yeah, to use um, Google Maps projects um, to um, yeah, write about the situation in Russia and Ukraine. But yeah, there, there had to be creative ideas um, to give hope. Thank you. Jerry, you had uh, something to say about this. Uh, yeah, speaking on the censorship, I, I'm actually glad that I'm, I'm in the US, so I've had the privilege to have more freedom speech that um, where some common people are not happening because uh, it reminds me of one of my friends who is also a game developer uh, who has launched a game to uh, archive some of the history of Hong Kong and since the nationalist implementation of the uh, nationalist security law in Hong Kong he has to self-censor inevitably to cut off some of the um, some part of the games to get rid of the risk. And uh, as of what I've said, that I think the physical restriction doesn't confine the freedom or free will. I, I think if we can't do it explicitly, just do it implicitly. Uh, so that's why I can feel that, especially the creator in every kind of uh, medium, they tend to be under the oppression uh, regime. They tend to make something that is, if you get it, you will get it. You understand them to express what they are believing. Definitely. Well, maybe you want to add a little bit more on that, the visual censorship. And that, um, yeah, how do you see the, the, the industry going forward in, in this context? I mean, I, th I think censorship is everywhere in terms of, it's also being pushed on by the industry that we're in. I mean, we have ratings for, for projects, so there, there's that aspect of it that exists right here domestically. I think, you know, um, if you're creating anything political um, in a weird way, it's, it's automatically getting marginalized um, by the industry itself, right? Like, the fact that we have to have uh, and, and talk about like, gaming and activism is like those things should just not be separated. This should be all inclusive. We're, we're, we're self-censoring ourselves as a medium because we're trying to say what it's supposed to be and what it shouldn't be. Um, and I think that, you know, it starts within the industry itself and then it also has it kind of coming from the top down from, from people that have different interests. So it, it definitely exists, but look, I think, um, 
it's, it's a game. So you got to be smart enough and you got to play the game right and you got to figure out how you can get your, your, your content out there to, to the audiences and, and, and go through that challenges. Censorship's always going to exist. People are going to try to poo-poo some of the ideas that you have because of, of, its, of its political validity or, or, or who you are as an individual and what you might be connected to and so forth. These are all just, I think you just kind of go in there with open eyes and just be like, all right, these are the challenges that I have and these are the things that I'm going to kind of have to navigate and, and kind of get around. And, uh, and, and, and I think the one great way of being able to bypass or at least have that support is doing things where instead of just releasing your game, you start building a community from the get-go. You know, whether it's even from like the idea of putting up some concept art or putting up some elements, you start talking about that. And funny enough, you'll draw people to come in your community who are actually initially just interested in the subject matter. So, you know, you build a community, that community becomes your foundation to bypass censorship that's coming from all these different directions. Um, a couple of follow-ups uh, on, on the things you mentioned. Um, do you think that um, maybe the fact that video games uh, are still not seen as a higher form of art has a little bit to do with, like, you know, the studios or the industry being dismissive of, of using games or anything other than it just simply entertaining, like simply um, just passing the time. Well, I mean, I, I personally think it's a generational thing, yeah. right? Um, and, and people naturally, you know, change is, is hard for industries to kind of take on. Um, the gaming audience is actually very receptive and very, very open uh, in terms of kind of experiences. I've, I've kind of always felt that they're at the forefront of change. Um, but then also you have just a huge smatter of like alpha males who just want to play shooters, which is just as great. And I don't you know discredit that at all. It's, it's just, it's another sliver of it just winds up becoming identified as what people who don't play gaming see gaming as. And so as a result, it just kind of discredits the, the, the larger medium. So I think that um, what, you know, the, the challenge that we kind of have is not whether gaming is seen as, as, as an art form, it's those who want to kind of confine it to what they think it is. And you can talk all about the numbers and it makes more money than Hollywood, GTA 5 made a billion dollars in three days blowing any blockbuster. But that's, if you make that, that the point, then you say, well, I'm now want to compare myself to you. Right? I want to compare myself to film. I want to compare myself to television. But you can't play television. You can't play a movie. The movie is one and a half hours, it's on a screen. You can get into a world and that special element of that is what needs to be celebrated. And that's the art thing. The art of the work that goes into it and the creation of that. So people are always gonna argue about, if they wanna argue about what's art, then tell them to jump, jump next door to the NFT conversations because that's NFT and gaming's kind of coming in that kind of blows away all of that film stuff. <laughs> that's great. Um, this is Jerry Powell. I know you mentioned building communities and uh, your game, like, it was, uh, how, your project started, like, how did you start initially funding you? Um, you had a Kickstarter, right? You had a Kickstarter campaign. So tell me a little bit about that and like, how it's been received and, and, and the process of building that community. Sure. Um, actually, we have, our team has launched a Kickstarter campaign last year, and, and we found that we went pretty successful. And we also thought about well, what um, was the reason of my, our success of the campaign, and we think part of the reason, maybe about the 
political environment in Hong Kong um, under a very oppressive fight, and there's no more freedom of speech, freedom of um, rally, there's no legal rally anymore, and then there's no way out to resolve their resentment. So that, I think the rebellion in Hong Kong uh, just went more subtle. So I think the cultural influence is a great way to like to sort it out. So that's why I think that makes people more uh, that encourages people to endorse this kind of cultural project like us. That's fantastic. Um, yeah. Um, so uh, one last question uh, about I want to continue with censorship, uh, uh, Kristen. Uh, I'm sure you've heard news of, uh, um, obviously you brought up some of the things like this, but um, you know, bans in, in authoritarian countries, um, like in China, for example, uh, China has banned, or at least partially banned, Steam, the, one of the largest, uh, it's not the, the largest game distribution platform on the planet. So, um, how, how does that affect now uh, work of something like the, obviously the, you know, Minecraft's not on Steam, but how does that affect you know similar projects perhaps where people wanted to bring similar messages into into China and other societies like that? Um, uh, how, how does that type of that heavy handed censorship affect? Yeah, I mean, I think it's yeah an important issue that the more popular protests and activism in the games become, I think they are also more likely to become a target of censorship. And this is what we are seeing now. And um, I think it's like the, how nice it is that we find this way for activism. I think, unfortunately, authoritarian countries are always like not far ahead when people have these like these creative ideas. Um, but still, I mean, but another example that we have is that uh, Russia's media regulator. Um, who's also responsible for censoring so many websites um, in Russia um, is trying to create an AI to um, search for bad content in, in video games, which is always two-sided. Of course, it's also content that has to be deleted, but it could also be political content. So what I want to say is that um, there are new developments um, to bring about social change, but also new developments from the authoritarian countries to to suppress these protests and these activism. So even though it's not affecting like Minecraft at the moment or like the idea that we have, but it's still um, a bit worrying to see that we try to give this example of how to circumvent censorship and then we can also see at the same time how authoritarian countries try to suppress these um, creative ideas. But I don't want to say that we should do it, but it's still, um, it's more a reason to do it because we have to fight for it even more and we have to find other ways and we have to, yeah, we shouldn't stop finding ways to circumvent censorship. But can I just so really, because I think it's important to just ask actually one major question. What are you trying to hack today? That's the most What are you trying to, I'm not saying to you, I'm just saying in general, I think the question should be, what are you trying to activate? If you're doing um, a, a project about the protests in Hong Kong because you want to, 
are you trying to tell that story because that story hasn't been able to get outside of that area and share it with the world? So then, therefore, you're actually not trying to get into the country, right? So if steam gets blocked, is it actually for the people in China that you're making this game, or is it actually for the rest of the world to understand what's taking place in Hong Kong so that they can actually, the next time an event takes place, they're aware of what's taking place? So I think yeah. it's actually right. So I think. Yeah, you're right, you're yeah. right, because that's exactly what I was saying that we shouldn't stop doing this because there's a way to make people aware of these topics all over the world. But in the specific case of the Antenna Dragon, we want to bring the Antenna content to the people in countries like Russia, for example. So it wouldn't be censored there, it wouldn't help our cause, but still. Uh, what we saw with the Antenna Dragon is that we make people all over the world, and especially young people, aware of the situation and of censorship. So, this is exactly what you're saying, I mean, that it's what um, we want to activate. I think we want to activate the world and we want to highlight or we want to make everyone aware of what's happening. And this is how, like, what games can do that we can reach new, like, people differently and we can make people differently aware of what's happening. Thank you. That, that's a that's, that's a really great point. Um, you know how authoritarian regimes don't. It's not just about controlling their own population. They don't want the world to know, right? Uh, but, but also, it's not just the the, the government. It's also the media. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So right, right, I'll give you a quick example. When we did 1979, I used to have a conversation with a friend of mine. His friends of mine assuming that all women in Iran are always veiled. And when I told them that my mother was never my mother from birth, her birth until we left Iran, had never ever worn a chador, ever. My grandmother who prayed oh, three, four, three times a day, she would only wear it when she was praying. She never wore it, and she was old, and she came from Azerbaijan down into Iran. When, when, when you can, in a game, show that, in 1979, and all everybody who's born after 1979 sees of Iran is mullahs and women covered in veils, that's all they know. So you, you're, you're, you're what you're activating is opening eyes to something that actually has been there and has changed. And so it's not just the government that's saying this is what we are. It's also how the history of that small that moment has has been reflected through the press, through other forms of media. So that's what you're trying to kind of counter. So I think it's important to recognize that, like, when you're creating something. You're creating it for a, a larger audience to actually actively change because of an agenda or a story, a narrative that's being told that's not true to actually the activities that are taking place and the ability of that government and that press to suppress it and to navigate that to be specific to that. So I think it's, a, you know, there's these other things that kind of get triggered off as well. Yeah, no, I, I, absolutely not. I, I really understand. Mm -hmm. um, um, yeah, so we were running out of time, uh, but uh, I want to, you know, I want to give you the opportunity to ask some questions if you have any questions, any of your panelists. Um, before we start, I, I wanted to, I want to ask you, basically, uh, Jerry, and tell us where we can find you on social media, uh, where we can see your projects, and whatnot, uh, Kristen. Um, yeah, so the Answer the Library is reachable by answerthelibrary.com <laughs> and you can also access it online by the link visit answerthelibrary.com and yeah, you can find me on Twitter for the agent. And if you have any questions, please call me. Okay. 
Yeah. Um, you're welcome to follow our Instagram account, name the name of the will, and also you can check updates on our website, sinaistudio.net. Yeah. Um, uh, inkstories.com, pretty much uh, all our games are on uh, 1979s on, on all platforms. Blindfolds and PSVR, so also the auditorium. Um, uh, our other projects are on Steam, so we're just kind of go to inkstories.com, that'll give you all the social media and everything else that we've got. Yeah. Thank you.